Well, happy New Year. Come on. Hallelujah. Amen. There's about four of you are glad. Uh, today, listen, we're going to start our first series for 2018, and it's called Thrive. And the subtitle to that is How to Keep Your Joy. And it's basically a study in the book of Philippians. Now, I picked this theme on purpose, very intentional, about being our first series of the year because I want Thrive to be our theme for the year. How many of you feel like you didn't thrive as much as you did survive 2017? Come on, can I get an A or an O me? Yeah. Did you know that just to survive is not God's will for our life? He wants us to thrive no matter what circumstances are around us, no matter what's happening. Usually it's the other way around, though. We, we let allow whatever's happening around us to dictate whether we thrive or not. That's not his will. His will is that we have a deep, abiding joy that sustains us and allows us to thrive even in the worst of situations and our most violent storms that we have to endure. God never tells us that we won't go through those. As a matter of fact, it says he, we will. But he says, don't, don't worry, I've already overcome it. And my will for you is to thrive. Hallelujah, somebody needs to hear that today. But here's the deal. Here's, here's, here's the rub. Look at the screen. What we would define as thriving does not always line up with God's definition. What we would say is winning and being successful doesn't always match. As a matter of fact, sometimes it works against our faith and causes our joy to bottom out. Got to make more money. Got to climb the ladder. Got to have a bigger house. Got to have a shinier car. Got to make sure my kids have the right clothes. Got to make sure they, they get... It's that treadmill of life that sucks the life or can, out of us. But that's exactly what the world would say is what it means to thrive. But what's that doing to your faith? What is that treadmill of life and that, that, this thing that you're on where we try to, you know, better, shinier, bigger, better? What's that doing to your joy? What's the cost? Okay, time out. I gotta, I gotta do this. I gotta just take a, a few minutes and, and time out from this message and, and do a, a sermon within a sermon. Before we jump into the meat of the, of the message, I want to hit the pause button. As we begin 2018 together as a church, this is a significant time. And I think it's important that I remind you of my commitment to you as your pastor and the vision I feel God has given me for this body. My philosophy of ministry is a little different from some. A lot of what we would deem as the most successful churches are the ones with the most people, right? It's kind of how we think. It's okay. Um, but some of these most successful churches, and let me, let me stop there and say this is not a ministry bash, okay? Uh, hear Pastor Allen today. I'm not throwing rocks at any ministry. I'm not doing that at all. I'm against that. I think that's wrong. But a lot of 
churches have an outside-in model. It's, it, it's always about the next big event, the next big thing, the next big idea. And it's all about making everything very attractive. The focus is on making everything very attractive for people from the outside to want to come in. But sometimes the messages are, are, are kind of uh, easy and in its own purpose, fun, inviting, non-invasive, non-offensive, all of those things, all in hopes of getting more and more people in to make a greater impact. Listen to me today. I get that. I totally understand that philosophy of ministry. And there's some churches around here that are doing better than anyone else in the world at doing that model and doing great with it. And, and God is using it. Amen? Come on. I'm, I'm not against that. But in my conviction, my calling, and what I study, when I look at the ministry of Jesus, I don't see as much of the outside in as I see inside out. Um, Jesus seemed to focus all of his time and energy on 12 people, on his sheep, on his disciples. But other people came to listen and to watch, and he was not exclusive to them. He was inclusive. He invited them to stay and to watch and to listen and to learn and be healed and be delivered and set free. He would spend days at a time healing people Amen. that came to listen and watch him pour into his disciples. A pastor's calling is to shepherd his or her flock. And if God brings increase, I said, if God brings increase to that flock, then to make the necessary adjustments to take care of that need, adding more shepherds, people like Dan and Brian and Cody and Russ, and, uh, and I'm, I'm believing for more. I'm believing for more. We're, we're all believing for that. We all want that. Now, this is what I'm talking about is an inside-out model, instead of focusing everything on how to get more people in, listen, my commitment to you is to pour into you so that you can go out and make a difference in your circle of influence, because you're going to be able to reach people that I will never know, people that may never darken the door of New Life Church, you're going to be able to reach, because you're ready, you've been poured into, you've been equipped. It's all right. It's all right. It's all right. Listen, this is that kind of service. It's that kind of message. Some, it's going to be like, do we clap for that? Or like, oh, my God. You know what? It's fine. It's fine. I'm resolved this morning. But this is what Paul is saying. Don't take my word for it. This is what Paul is saying in Ephesians 4.11. Now, these are the uh, gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors. Everybody say Pastor. Pastors and teachers, verse 12 says, their responsibility, my responsibility is to equip who? God's people to sit on the bench and do nothing. Wait, wait, is that what it says? Oh, to build up the church. My job is to equip you to build up the church, to do work in the kingdom. That's my job description, and I take it very seriously. 
My vision is not for New Life to be the largest church, but the healthiest church. And God can take care of the rest. Listen, listen. The healthiest church where you and your family can connect to your God-given purpose and take that purpose outside these four walls and be used of God yourself in your life, in your circle. People will be blessed just because they know you. People will be blessed just because they're around you. Mm. Who's ready for that in 2018? Come on, come on. Here's the deal. Here's the deal. Healthy things grow. We don't have to force anything. We don't have to manufacture anything. Healthy things grow. We're seeing the results of that at New Life now. Uh, spiritually, and that's the most important thing, numerically and financially, God is blessing our church, and I'm thankful for it. Of course I want our church to grow. There's no pastor who would ever admit otherwise. But I believe if, if we focus on that, it's the wrong focus. I believe if we focus on the health, God will bring the increase and greater influence to the ministry. And here's the most exciting part. It's growth and influence that can be sustained over time. It's not based on someone extremely talented. It's not based on a figure. It's not based on a personality. It's based on a group of people who have decided to unite together under the banner of Jesus Christ to become everything that God has called them to be and make a difference in the kingdom together. That will last. If it's based on a personality, when that personality is taken out of the mix, what happens? All right, Pastor, what's going on? Why are you, why are you, why are you saying this? Did, did somebody spike your eggnog at Christmas? What's happening? Why, why taking all this time? <laughs> I'm saying all of this, listen, because my commitment to you is to preach messages full of grace and truth, but always in the spirit of love. If you're a regular here, you've probably heard that. You need to be reminded of that. If you're a guest, you need to know the heart of the leader, of the senior leader here. Now, I've said all of that to lead up to this statement. I've got some hard things to tell us this morning. <laughs> I've got some tough words. It's definitely an inside-out message, not, not outside-in. If you call New Life home, I'm challenging you to sit up, take notes, engage, chew on this, pray about this. If you're a guest, I'm sorry. No, I'm just kidding. I'm, I'm, I'm joking. If you're a guest, I'm excited that you're here. I'm inviting you to do the same thing. Lean in. Listen. Pray about it when you leave. Because at some point in the next few weeks, like Pastor Cody said, you're going to decide, is this a church, a gathering that I can see my, myself and my family connecting to and committing to. And I pray that it is. I pray that it, I don't take for granted you being here. I mean, come on, this is Atlanta. 
There's a great church on every corner. It's also the place where the Falcons are in the, the, the playoffs and where Georgia Bulldogs are going to the national championship tomorrow night. Come on. You better take your opportunity to clap because that might be the last time for the day. Sorry for all of you Alabama fans, but I know we have some. It's fine. We won't completely hold it against you. And God forbid you Patriot fans out there. <laughs> Pastor Dan. But it, seriously, it's also a place where there's a great church, a great church on every corner. So I don't take it for granted that you're here. I'm glad that you're here, and I hope you find a home at New Life. I think it's the best church around. Just kidding. But I, as I wrote, now, now I'm flipping the coin. I'm going back to the other message, okay? As I wrote out the initial idea for the Thrive series, I had some pretty clear directives and things in mind that I wanted to do. But as I began to dive into this first chapter, that changed dramatically. I couldn't get past the first sentence of verse 1. If we go at this speed, we'll be in Philippians a year from now. It's not going to happen. Not going to happen. Sorry. Well, I don't know. Whatever he wants. I don't think it'll happen. I couldn't get past one word in the first verse, the first sentence of the first verse. This verse and this word is going to force us to talk about our perspective, about how we view our relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm talking about our paradigm of Christianity. That word paradigm simply means how we frame something, how we frame and view something. Look at the screen. A paradigm shift is when we change the way we view something to the point that it alters the way we live. It's not a shift if you don't change your behavior. For example, it's the beginning of the year. My paradigm of working out. My paradigm of working out is that it is helpful for my body and for my health, but I hate it with every fiber of my being, and so therefore I don't really do it like I should or at all. And we, Kathy and I, we walk. That's our thing. Not right now because it's too cold. Let me tell you, so, so if, I, if I had a paradigm shift, I would no longer see it as simply helpful, but necessary for my health, and I would do it whether I wanted to do it or not. Does that make sense? How many need that paradigm shift in your life? <laughs> You're all lying. Everybody didn't raise their hand, except for Clay. All right, anyway. I'm suggesting today that our Christianity needs a paradigm shift. In other words, we need to change the way we look at and view our relationship and walk with Christ. Everybody look at me. If we want this joy that we're talking about, that we need to sustain us and give us strength, this shift is not optional, but necessary. Are you ready for the word? Are you ready to hit the back door? Ready for the word? All right, good. Let me pray. Father, you know what I'm about to say. 
I pray you would give me the strength and the anointing to say it with boldness, with grace, and with truth, and with love, and that we would receive it. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Philippians 1-1-A, because we're only reading one sentence. This letter is from Paul and Timothy, slaves of Christ Jesus. Folks, I, I'm just telling you, I tried really hard to ignore that word, and I even did. I, I, just, I was like, okay, well, no, that's not a Sunday morning thing. I'll just go on with the rest of the chat. I did, literally, and we're like studying, and God kept bringing me back to that word. Now, almost every other English translation, this is a New King James, I think, right here, and it, it, what does it say? Servant. Servant or bondservant? Bondservant is better but it's still not correct. Almost every other English, the early English translators avoided that word like the plague for obvious reasons. The stigma attached to that word is horrific. It bears thousands of years of negative, terrible, awful history. And they didn't want to use the word, but the problem is that in the original Greek, that's the word. It's very clear. It's not servant. It's not bondservant. It is slave. Paul's intent was to use that word. And the problem when the early translators, early English translators, shifted that out with servant, they changed the meaning, the true depth of that. There's a huge difference between servant and slave, isn't there? A servant has rights. A servant gets paid. A servant has an employer. A slave has no rights. A slave has no compensation. A slave doesn't have an employer. He has a master. Now, we, we, we use the word servant. Don't give it a second thought. But when we hear the word slave, we stop in our tracks because it's offensive. And it should be. And yet Paul is using it, and as I looked closer and I began diving into this and studying it more, I realized he wasn't the only one. James begins his letter this way. Peter begins one of his letters this way. Jude begins one of his letters, or his letter this way. And then I got studying it more, and I realized it's used 130 times in the New Testament, most of which in the wrong, they use the wrong word. 1 Corinthians 6 says, Paul says, you are not your own. You've been bought. You've been purchased with a price. That speaks of ownership. And guess who else in the Bible in the New Testament used this language? Take a guess. Jesus. You Bible scholars, finish this sentence for me. Well done, my good and faithful. You guessed it. We memorized it. We learned it in Sunday school. Well done, my good and faithful servant. But the correct word is slave. Now, we call Jesus Lord and Master and don't think anything about it. But think about it in the converse. Masters don't have servants, they have slaves. So here's the bottom line. Look at the screen. Hiding the word slave 
has obscured the depth of Christ's lordship. Hiding the word slave has obscured the depth of Christ's lordship. Now, everybody, everybody to pay attention to the next thing I say, because it's, 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 I'm flipping the coin now, okay? Thank God, okay? We're going to the other side of things. You need to hear this. In every context except one, let me say it again. In every context except one, the word slave and everything it represents is absolutely reprehensible and it's an abomination to God. Amen? Thank you. The only time that is it appropriate, the only time that it is good and right is when Jesus is the master. He is a perfect master. He always has our best interest at heart. And we're never forced into this position. We choose. We volunteer. Now, there are many facets to our relationship with God that are very clear in the Bible. We're called sons and daughters. We're called friends of God. We're called heirs and joint heirs with Christ. All of those things are absolutely true. My point today, my difficult and tough assignment today is to help you to understand and myself to understand is that being a slave to Christ is also one of those facets, but it's been virtually left out of our Christian experience. And I believe, everybody listen, I believe that's one of the reasons we don't experience the full joy of the Lord. The full strength that comes through that, that is available. Listen to the familiar words of Jesus. We all know that if you've been in church, we've all heard this scripture, but listen to it now with this in mind. Mark 8, 34. Then calling the crowd to join his disciples, Jesus said, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel, you will save it. Do you, are, you, are you seeing it? Give up your own way. Give up your life. Paul and the early disciples, see, they were declaring by opening his letter this way. He was starting off declaring that they were laying down their rights and picking up the great responsibility of becoming a follower of Jesus Christ. Aren't you glad you came today? <laughs> Pastor Allen, why couldn't you ease us into 2018? I mean, come on, this is... You guys know that's not my style. No, seriously, seriously, seriously. This makes us uncomfortable. That word is offensive. When I say the word slave, it's, there's nothing really positive that comes to mind. It causes tension. And here's the reason. Here's the reason. It doesn't line up with our culture. It doesn't jive even with our American paradigm of Christianity. Our culture has molded us from the time we were little kids to be independent. Our country was founded on the declaration of independence. What do we do with that? 
We're all, hey, listen, we are all proud of our country, proud to live here, proud of our soldiers, our armed forces. I am not suggesting one bit that we give up our patriotism. Come on. I'm not suggesting that at all. But I am suggesting, I am preaching that our patriotism cannot come first. I'll just preach the rest from right back here. I know, see? It's like, ooh. Look, we, we, we desperately try to cram our faith through our American filter, but what comes out the other side sometimes barely resembles New Testament Christianity. Our culture has driven us to this point, and we've allowed it. But folks, the chasm is getting broader. We no longer live in a Christian nation. You know that, right? It doesn't matter who's president, it doesn't matter who's not, who's, who's in charge. We, we no longer live in a Christian nation. And the farther that chasm goes, we've got a choice to make. The problem is, if we cling, oh, if we cling to that old paradigm of Christianity, it's going to be harder and harder to tell who has faith and who doesn't. And eventually it could sweep us away. The word of God says those there'll be many, many, many that fall away. And I love you too much to preach anything else than this. Here's the pattern. Here's our, our pattern. We ask God to bless our efforts, our work, our kids, our home, our job. Come on, I do it, you do it. Amen? We do it. But a slave doesn't ask his master to bless his work. A slave simply asks his master, what do you want me to do? And guess what? If, if, if we make that our perspective, if I make that my posture, I don't even have to pray God to bless what I'm doing. If I'm doing his work, it's already going to be blessed. It's already going to increase. It's already going to be powerful in the kingdom because I'm already doing what he told me to do. I don't have to ask God to bless it. It's blessed. That's better preaching than y'all are letting on. It's the great paradox. Look at the screen. To be truly free, we must choose to become slaves. To be truly free, we must choose. Free to do what, Pastor? What are you talking about? It doesn't sound like freedom to me. That's not what I've been taught. That doesn't sound like freedom. When you put those words together, free to be who God has called us to be. Free from this world that says you've got to do this and you've got to be that to be successful. Free to be who God says we should be and have his hand upon us and his blessing and his anointing. Free, free, free. I know this isn't natural. This isn't, 
easy. This isn't what we've been taught. But here's the great truth that I couldn't get away from, that God kept slamming me with all week long, that kept making me go back to this sentence and back to this word. Look at the screen. If I am a, to follow Jesus, nothing can belong to me. If I am to follow Jesus, nothing can belong to me. He is the owner. He owns it all. It's all his. My kids, my home, my job, my money, my, friend, my, my successes, my failures, my struggles, my success. It's all his. It all belongs to him. If we are a follower of Jesus, it's all his. Amen. It's all his. It all belongs to him. He is my savior. He is my master. He is my Lord. I want us to clap our hands anyway right now. Come on. Even if you don't feel like it. All right. Here's, 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 the, here's the good part about this, this tough message. It's short. Dear Lord, I, I wouldn't want an hour worth of that, would you? No, come on. It's short, but listen. I'm almost done. I know this has been heavy, especially starting out the year. But while everything that I have preached to you today is truth, and let me stop there and say, listen, this isn't controversial. It sounds controversial, but it's not. Trust me, I've preached controversial before. This is not controversial. It's the truth of God. If you Don't waste your time this morning getting mad at me, <laughs> getting upset with me or offended at me. If you're going to get upset, you'll have to get upset with Paul. And Jesus, and Jude, and Peter. And that's fine. They can handle it. Don't get upset with me. But even though this has been hard and everything that I preach today is true from God's word, don't forget one thing. Come on, come on, come on. God's grace is also present. Come on. That's a place to clap right there. God doesn't expect this shift to take place overnight. It's a process. It's a journey. The big theological word is sanctification. Say that. Sanctification. You got to say it with that big theological voice. Sanctification. There you, there you go. You got it, brother. But listen, listen, listen. As with anything worthwhile in our lives, we have to, it all starts with a decision. Just like eating better, going to the gym, working on your marriage, whatever it is, it all starts, has to begin with a decision. That's all God is asking this morning to begin, is a decision. The big idea, thriving in the new year begins with a decision about how we view our walk with Christ. It begins. He is not just Savior. He is, not, he is our Savior, but He's not just our Savior. He is our Lord and our Master. <laughs> I was laying in bed this morning before the alarm went on because I, I don't sleep well on Saturday nights. never have. That's just part of the thing with pastoring. I'm laying there, and I'm thinking, God, why? <laughs> why do you always give these kind of messages? Why do I always seem to take the hardest angle possible for a verse? 
And he reminded me of a, an illustration I used years ago. Have you ever been to the fair and you saw the game where they take the, the sledgehammer and hit the thing and the little peg goes up or hopefully goes up and hits the... It's so funny to, to watch that for a while because eventually you'll see this big, strong, strapping guy come up there and just take this huge swing, hit it, and it goes up about four feet. And then, like, following him will be this little kind of scrawny farmhand guy who understands something. He sees something. That little lever that comes out that you hit, it's not flat. It, it angles up just slightly. And he knows that to come straight down on that is not going to do any good. You actually have to angle it back towards yourself. A harder angle, more difficult angle. But if you hit that, you don't have to swing as hard, and it goes all the way up. And you see him, and it's so funny. God reminded me sometimes we have to take the harder angle of attack, the more difficult angle to be successful and to thrive. I don't know about you, but I have no interest in swinging harder and seeing less results. I've do, I've done, I do that all the time. Anybody? I want to swing at the correct angle, even if it's a little bit harder. And I want to see the bell ring. I want to see that thing travel up. How many want to ring the bell in 2018? Come on. Come on. Hallelujah. I want you to stand with me.